Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, and look down, if you will, to verse 31. I'll read the passage, and then we'll pray and ask God to help me and to help you. Amen? We both need God's help. We got the word, and thank God for it. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, and I'll read down through verse 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold... Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I pray for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this time and opportunity, Father, to share the Word of God. I thank you for a burden that you put upon a preacher's heart, God, to be able to preach. We thank you so much for our Lord and Savior and for our salvation we have in Christ. I pray that, God, you'll just help me to be a blessing tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to set the stage here just for a few moments and uh, kind of set the timeline to this passage. The, this is the Last Supper. Uh, that we're, we're reading about, and all 12 of the apostles had just partaken of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is relating uh, what lies ahead of them, some of the uh, uh, trying to prepare them for the days to come, and, and actually later on that night. And as they got up and left for Gethsemane, Judas somewhere slips out, and he goes to the high priest, and he completes the betrayal. In verse 31 that we just read, there's a warning given to Peter. He said, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Satan had already entered into Judas in verse 3. If you read the entire chapter, he's already working overtime, trying to stop what's fixing to happen, trying to snag it up any way that he can. And then if you go down to the end of the chapter and look at verse 53, looking ahead... Jesus would identify the workings of the next 15 hours from Gethsemane to death on the cross. He would identify the workings as the power of darkness. You know, sometimes we don't really understand that there's a whole lot that goes on that we can't see. Bad stuff has taken place right here. Peter already was engulfed in a spiritual battle as you and I face every day temptation, things planted in your mind. Peter engulfed in a spiritual battle, as Jesus said would happen to him. Jesus, in verse 32, then assures Peter. He says, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, the last six months, you probably, if you listen to much preaching, and that's what a lot of people have been doing, is listening to it or watching it through live stream or television, You've probably heard all kind of things about what's going on uh, and, and a lot of debates about it. The effects of COVID, the, uh, the storms that we've been having, the state of America. And, and America just didn't get divided yesterday. It's been divided for a good while. But the state of America as a tinderbox. Some of you young folks that don't know what a tinderbox is, that's what they put kindling in or what they start a fire with. So you see all these things in the debate that's out there. You, we can hear and we can read in our Bible is this... Is this punishment or uh, warning from God, all these things that are happening? Is it a 
new world order that's going to come to be moving towards end time events, maybe a massive spiritual attack, or just a trial of our faith as God's people. I would say it's all of the above and then a whole lot more than this. I want to preach tonight on conversion. Jesus said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. To be effective tonight, this needs to be personal to you. And not just because I'm the preacher, it needs to be personal to me. I would liken maybe what we're going through right now perhaps to something that was taking place here with, with Peter and, and, and the impact that was, was, was upon him. And we're going to kind of uh, stick with Peter's circumstance here as the focus here in the passage. But we need to be the object of this. You know, it'd be a horrible shame to... to when I say go through, I, I don't know about y'all, we haven't had a tough time. We've been through some things and the isolation and... And uh, camps changing, ministry changing, tornado, you know, all this other stuff. And it, it hasn't been easy, but I mean, I haven't missed a meal. Um, I still have my health. My wife has hers. And so, but as we go through this and think about what's happened to the nation, the enormous amount of money that's been put out by the government, churches not meeting in public, I mean, something unheard of. Uh, and everybody agreeing that this is the right thing to do. But as we think about this, I want you to think about conversion, what Peter went through, what he was fixing to go through, this spiritual battle, and how he came out of it. But most of all, Jesus' assurance that he would come out of it. And I'm glad I got that as a child of God tonight. So let me just share this simple message with you. It would be a crying shame to go through uh, not just the last three months, but the six months that, uh, of all this going on and not get something out of it. Amen. I think we would have to wear the dunce hat if we were in Sunday school class uh, not to get something out of it. So I want to share with you my thoughts as God has given me. I want you to think first about today. Everybody wants to get back to normal. Uh, it'd be great, amen. We enjoyed being in service here uh, this morning in church. And uh, my wife with a, with a bad immune system. And, you know, I love her and I wanted to be here. So we were cautious with that. And it's just so great to be back here this morning with so many other people. And, and, and we talk about getting back to normal. I'd like to say, first off, that getting back to normal, I think, is a little bit, it's too shallow of a goal for God's people. The definition here, if you will, for converted is to revert back. To revert back. And as we think about Peter going into this, and, and you and I as we go into this, business as usual, I do not believe is worthy of God. And we as God's people. And I say that joyfully and expectantly and excitedly that, that God has got plans for using all of this in our lives. And all the things that I mentioned and the ones that I didn't, the, all the things that, that are, are coming from this. I believe a higher plane is God's plan in all of this. And I believe if you'll look back at what was going on here with Peter and look maybe back at us before all this began to take place, that normal may be how Satan got into this so easily, was in the normal. Second thing I'm going to bring to your attention, I want you to notice where Peter's conversion was initiated. Amen? I don't know about you, I like to, I like to know how things work. I, if I have a problem, I like to know why I have a problem. Amen? And uh, in, my, in my life and things that I do. And so notice where his conversion was initiated. Looks in between verse 33. I'll read both of these verses. 
somewhere between verse 33 and verse 34, Peter speaking, he said back to the Lord, he said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and into death. Jesus replied back to him, he says, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Somewhere between verse 33 and verse 34, this conversion was initiated, if you will. It's between Peter's boastful, prideful boasting and his bitter weeping that you can find about down in verse 62. Now, that's a big gap in there, but this is where it was initiated. I've heard preachers say, and I've said myself, boy, you know, I can relate to Peter. He was excited. And, and one moment, and he could be down the next moment. And uh, the exciting things that he was able to be a part of, I mean, you know, uh, I've said myself, wouldn't it have been wonderful uh, to be that walking on water, Peter? Wouldn't it be wonderful as a preacher that, uh, uh, that, that preacher at Pentecost, Peter? I hadn't heard any preacher say, boy, wouldn't it be great to be that bitter weeping preacher? But can I tell you, this is where he got to, to where the conversion was initiated, where it could begin. I thought about people that have surgeries. I had a church member one time that he, uh, his behavior, he'd, he'd got saved at age 73, and him and his wife became members of the church. And boy, it was exciting to baptize a 73-year-old man. Brother Jeremiah was going to help me. And before, uh, before I, I could even grab hold of the man, he done jumped over in the, in the cattle trough that we baptized in. I said, oh, wait a minute. Let me read some scripture first. It was exciting to see that happen. A couple years later, he developed a brain tumor. His behavior got to be very strange. And they went in and did surgery at Forest General. And they drilled a hole right here through the center of his forehead about the size of a, of, a, of a Kennedy half dollar. And they went in there and they took, took the tumor out. Had to go way back up in there and take the tumor out. It's kind of like building a ship in the bottle backwards. You've got to take something out of the ship. And these great surgeons that did that work. And they pulled it out and they put it back together. And they, I guess they put the bone back in there that they cut back out. But, but here's my point with that illustration. You've got to cut deep. To get out a killer tumor. You got to cut deep to get out a killer tumor. And as we see here with Peter, anything in your life that would cause you to disagree with Jesus Christ, when God said it, that seals it whether we agree with it or not. Amen? And so we see here with Peter, his conversion was initiated between verse 33 and verse 34 to where he was at difference with Christ. I think today we take that very casual and we get used to it. There's a little word Vance Havner used to mention a lot. But. We'll say one thing and agree with God. And then we'll put a but on there and excuse us from having to follow what God says we need to do. And it becomes normal. Peter would not become the Peter of Acts without this being removed. Now I haven't went on too much about what this tumor was or what it was that he had. And I submit to you it was pride. It was pride. Jesus told him what was going to happen. 
My Lord, my wife tells me sometimes, you know, um, I don't consider myself henpecked. And, uh, uh, and I think my, my wife would agree with that. She has a little more leeway after 46 years of marriage than she did in the beginning, amen. I think she ought to be honored that way. Sometimes I do dumb stuff, you know, amen. I wish I could get out of doing that dumb stuff, you know, in relation to your wife. And, you know, she doesn't always take my word for it when I do something dumb. I didn't mean nothing by it. But, but this thing of pride, this thing of not admitting. And as I said, my wife, sometimes she'll share with me something that, that makes good sense. And then sometimes that pride will well up in me and just because it was her idea or maybe it was something that would incriminate me in some way that she was factually correct but I would disagree with her at my own hurt because of pride and I believe it was pride in Peter's life that led him to say oh Lord no not me I'll be with you in the prison and, death. and we know that he wasn't Conversion comes only by way of self-admission. And Peter's became a public self-admission. And that's what the bitter weeping, where the bitter weeping came from was that self-admission. So Peter did become Peter of Pentecost and Peter of Acts and the great leader that he was. And he got through this like you and I have gotten through the next, this past six months. And we, hey, we don't know what lies ahead. We know all this is going to be done one day, amen? It's going to be gone. Sometimes we act like it's going to go into the next century. I don't even have a retirement account. The government's got one for me. It may not be there. Uh, I haven't drawn it yet. It may not be there after this $6 trillion. They may want to borrow some money from me, amen, or my kids from their piggy bank. So we see here that getting back to normal should not be our, should not be our goal, folks. How wonderful to meet in the building, amen? How wonderful to see everybody. How wonderful wanting to get back in Sunday school at some point and the ministries of the church get back going. I hate to mention names behind the pulpit, especially when it's not my pulpit. I saw a lady today that was involved in the bus ministry. The buses are all shut down. She hauled one in. <laughs> wow, amen. Somebody older than I am, she hauled one in. Getting back to the ministry. So let's don't be so shallow that we want to get back just to normal. But this thing of conversion, let me get back to this and see if I can tie this up in a noose and, and bring it to a conclusion. Peter needed this. I don't think anything will ever happen to any of us that we don't need. We can take a broad verse, Romans 8, 28, that says all things work together for good, that God will use anything and everything that comes into our life. That's who God is. He's able to keep track of all of us at one time. So as we think about this, this conversion where it was initiated somewhere between his disagreement with God and then what God had told him, and he went both eyes wide open into this between his prideful boasting and his bitter weeping. So he had to get to this point of bitter weeping. And when he got there, brother, he got it. Amen? 
I believe that when he looked through whatever he had to look through, the gate, the doors of wherever Jesus was, but everything lined up for a moment. He was out there warming himself by that fire, and they made eye contact. And buddy, I believe that's all it took right there. And it came back to what Jesus had said to him. And what God says will always come back. We can't bear it. And he realized that it was him. He got it. It was his pride. May I say tonight that pride is the wireless network for satanic influence travels upon. Pride. Pride is the building up of ourselves. I had a few moments in the, the last few months and, you know, one thing after another. And uh, my wife and I, we have a pretty heavy workload already. I mentioned this to some of our Sunday school class. And, and uh, you know, I really don't, I don't mind mentioning it. That it, it, it gets, a little, uh, gets a little steep to walk sometimes. When the burden gets heavier and the burden gets heavier. And I got to a point that you know, I was more focused on myself than I was on God. And I think that's where Peter was, and I think that's what pride is, because as the old preacher said, it's got an eye right in the middle of it. So we notice here that this thing of pride, this is the wireless network of satanic influence that it travels to you and I. Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. I've never read in the Bible of anyone that ruined their life through humility in the Bible. Have you? But I've read of a many one. The king of the known world spent seven years with the cows out in the field over his self-importance pride. Putting himself where God ought to be. And he had been warned. And Peter had been warned. And I've been warned. And you've been warned. It's deadly. Humility is the well that grace is drawn from. Down low. Isn't it amazing? It means you and I don't have to be important. We just need to be sincere. And the lower we are in our own estimation is the greater God can be in our life. Now, I believe that everybody that gets saved, God has great plans for them. How about you? Amen? I got 10 grandkids. And, buddy, I want to tell you, I, uh, I get to take a free hand in four of them that live near me. And it's kind of like molding and shaping, you know, modeling clay. And I see something, you know, that doesn't need to be there because, you know, at my age, you know, I've done raised my kids and I was a kid myself one time. And so I can do some modeling here to maybe prevent something down there or maybe help produce something there. And it's wonderful to be able to do that and be able to help the kids with that. But as we think about this and we think about one of the biggest problems that, we, that we, we try to teach with our grandkids, I think with everybody and with ourselves, and I see this in myself, is this thing of self-importance. Everybody has got greatness in them because of Jesus Christ that is saved. Amen? Paul 
said. <laughs> Jesus told him this. He said, my grace is sufficient. How would you like to have a ministry to where you got beat up all the time, right? How would you like to have a ministry to where you'd have to get side jobs all along the mission field? That's Paul. How would you like to have a, a physical malady of some kind that was attributed to uh, the messenger of Satan beating him and God allowed that to happen in your life to keep you low and not prideful because of all the Bible you knew and the prophecy you knew? And once Paul found that out, he said, I will gladly glory. That means I'll be excited about this bad stuff happening to me. Boy, they'd put him in a hospital somewhere, wouldn't they? This thing of pride. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Let me show you this last thing. I like evidence. How about you? <clears throat> I could tell you some stories, but I'm going to let them just kind of pass on by. Uh, parents don't always need evidence, right? <laughs> Amen. Evidence of conversion. Now notice Jesus told him before all this happened, I'd rather have the assurance of Scripture than a million dollars. I'd rather have the assurance of the Scriptures than a job that pays a quarter million dollars a year, uh, a limo to drive me around, uh, a $5 million, anything you could imagine, I'd rather have the assurance of God in my life than anything. Jesus said to Peter, here's the assurance that Jesus gave to Peter that I gave you earlier. He says, Satan hath the desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But then he says, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. By the way, in John chapter 17, the Bible says that Jesus prayed for his disciples, but he also prayed for those that were saved through their ministry. And this successive ministry on down through the line, that means that Jesus is praying for you and I. You know, you got to go against the will of God to fail. Amen. The evidence of conversion, he says here, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And I guess this is the gist of the whole thing that that I wanted to bring out here tonight, that God has worked in my heart. Tell my son sitting behind me, my pastor, you don't ever get too grown up to grow. You'll always be learning. When you quit learning, God's going to be done with you. Amen. I feel excited to be able to learn at my age. Amen. I like being around folks um, that are much older than I am. I, it makes me feel younger, but I feel young enough anyway, and that's a subject to be debated. But he said, strengthen thy bedroom. Here, here's the gist of all this. Strengthen thy bedroom. Evidence of conversion. By the way, the word strengthen means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Confirm, fix, establish. So Jesus said to Peter, he says, when thou art converted... Evidence of conversion, he said, strengthen thy brethren. He said, help someone. Now, hang on. There it is. All of this that God knew beforehand was going to happen, he gave Peter assurance. 
I am there. I have prayed for you. I want to tell you, if you got Jesus praying for you, I mean, amen, what can the devil do, right? Only what you let him. Amen. So the evidence of conversion. So what should we get out of this the last six months? I ought to be a little less important than I was before. Amen. I'm good at amening myself, so hang on. The preacher don't believe what he's preaching. He don't need to be up here. I need to be a little less important than I was before this started. And I need to understand that going through this, God has a message for me personally. He had a message for you personally. And I believe this is the message that pride's an awful thing. And pride is no more than I am important. I told Brother Jeremiah the other day, we were talking and, about churches and different things. And, you know, not running people down, but just, you know, we're preachers. And, and, uh, and I said, yeah, I got to preach at a church uh, recently. Well, it's been a while now. And um, they had lost a pastor. And I quoted where the, in the Bible in Joshua where it says, my servant Moses is dead. And so God took Joshua and magnified him in the eyes of the people. Amen. God's never going to run out of folks. But the importance is that we're in tune with God and we learn and we grow. I'm going to tell you, it's exciting to grow. I'm, I'm, amen. I've been married for 46 years. I'm growing in my marriage. Man, 46 years, you're still learning stuff? Gosh, I feel like I'm in kindergarten when it comes to knowing things about a woman. Seriously, Amen. And my wife is left-handed. So you think you got it rough. <laughs> she, her clock ticks backwards. So the evidence of conversion, strengthen thy brethren to turn resolutely in a certain direction, confirm and fix, establish. There's a lot of folks that could use a little fixing. But here's the gist of it. Getting small enough to help somebody. Now, I didn't read the beginning of this, but I'll give you this in the tail end. You know what these guys were talking about? The first Lord's Supper right here. The first Lord's Supper. A solemn occasion that we remember every time we observe the Lord's Supper. And they were talking about who is the greatest among the twelve? Why did I bring emphasis to that? I brought emphasis to the fact that Peter needed to get fixed so he could help fix somebody else. Now here's the sticky part of the end. We use the term personal testimony. How we got saved, what God's done in our life. But you know what pride will do? If you're not careful, now I don't mean just go blab everything and, 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 and uplift tragedy, uplift the devil. Bob Jones had a guy, and I tell this once in a while, Brother Jeremiah, I've mentioned him a couple of times over the years, and, and Bob Jones Sr., 
he was at a dinner with a, with a bunch of folks, and, and uh, this guy said, I want to come share my testimony at your church sometime. He was invited to come to different churches. And Bob Jones, he just, you know, I, I never met him, but I've, I've heard him preach, and I've read some of his stuff, and I like him. And he was a real deal, you know, a million people to the Lord, great citywide campaigns like don't happen today. I mean, he had the power of God, right? And he told the guy, I don't think he was mean or just really dismissive. And he said, he said, I'd like to come to your church, share my testimony sometime. He said, I don't like the way you tell it. He highlighted the humanity, the fallen man, and the testimony instead of Christ. We ought, to be, we ought to be sorrowful and low down when we're sharing testimony of what God has done for us. And the, one of the worst experiences in my life as a Christian is when I realize that I've put myself on a pedestal. Testimony. So what was he to do? He was to help someone to turn resolutely in a certain direction, confirm, fix, and establish. And the other fellows that were with him in that room, in the upper room, you read it. They were strife. I'm going to be the head preacher. And I just do that, folks, to let you know that preachers are not immune to pride. And I'm a preacher. And it's real easy to get lifted up. So personal testimony is a good thing. As we come through this, as we get back into church, and as ministries, somehow, some way, God's got a plan to get things cranked back up. That lady this morning that brought a guy in with her, and I've seen her around church before, and I thought to myself, why is this little old lady driving a big old minivan? She found a way to serve God a long time ago. And I believe probably when she bought that minivan, she was intending on getting people in there, breaking up a church, amen. So as we think about all the things that has happened, and um, I thank God for the, um, the great messages that God has sent to Brother Jeremiah to feed God's people. He is the under-shepherd. And the wisdom that God has put into that so God's people can function and the church is still functioning, still supporting the missionaries and, and, and the finance. I mean, it's, it's great and wonderful. But our goal ought to be whatever happened to us, whatever we experienced through this, to have some conversion take place in our life. Amen? And to be able to help fix somebody else. Our world is not like it is because all Christians are doing their jobs. And I found this out. My relationship with the Lord is sweeter the lower I get. <laughs> Amen? Now, I hadn't got as far as giving my wife the broom and go out in the back and say, just beat me down a few times. <laughs> but I thank my love even for my wife the lower I get, the closer we can get to God. And the farther up we get, the farther away we can get from God and the greater connection the devil has for us.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you and praise you.